It's 12 o'clock in Frisco, Texas, and it's time for Smoker Broker Radio with Robert Mesh, a.k.a. The Smoker Broker. Robert is the owner of Small World Realty and has employed hundreds of real estate agents in his 17-year career. He has instructed and mentored over 10,000 real estate agents at the highly acclaimed Champions School of Real Estate and is considered an expert in Texas residential realty. Robert is also an advocate of true entrepreneurial spirit and has helped many to transition from corporate America into the world of self-employment. And now live from the studio to your world, The Smoker Broker. Hey, welcome to Smoker Broker. I'm Robert Mesh, and I'm the guy they call Smoker Broker. Happy whatever day it is to you. God knows when we do the podcast. We used to get so used to being on the radio. It was Thursday. It was happy Thursday. Hope you're having a cruising way to the weekend. But now it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And quite honestly, even as I'm looking at you, I still don't remember what day it actually is. So uh, podcast world does change. It doesn't matter. We still do the same content. We still go through the same good stuff for you guys as real estate agents and for the general public and understanding the real estate. So it really doesn't matter what day we're in. Uh, it's all the same one way or the other. I hope you're doing well. Hope everything's going good for you out there. You know, we just got off talking about a market shift where we uh, did an entire show on uh, the effects of the shift. And we discussed how it's, you can talk about shift in a lot of different ways. And we took a more theoretical route from it and try to explain how the benefits of the shift can be good, even though they appear to be negative. And we're going to come off that show and kind of go the opposite way and start talking more about people that are getting into real estate and ways that they can get into it. And I find that those shows actually kind of complement each other because we just got through talking about that there's plenty of real estate out there for everybody. It's the foundation for the markets that we're in and the businesses that we do. And I'm biased towards it because I do run a large real estate brokerage, but I genuinely believe that everybody should have a real estate license. And when you have a shift that is potentially, you know, pausing the market, it eventually revs it back up to where it's a very stable and a stable, a stable market helps a lot of the agents that come in do better and have more consistency. And we have about four or five years of agents right now that have not experienced an even keeled market. So as they continue to listen to people talk about how horrible it is and that they're worried and that the market's going to slow down and they're not going to have clients, it'd be quite the opposite for them. I read a, one thing I read today, uh, right before I came on the show, <clears throat> one of the uh, groups that I'm in with some of the uh, high-powered uh, high agents out there, they made, uh, they were talking about the goods and bads of this stuff and, and the shift. Well, one of the good things <clears throat> was that it's finally going to get agents back to the buyer agents, back to some type of normalcy that when they schedule showings that they actually can schedule a weekend where they schedule 10 houses and probably get somebody under contract without having to be called at like 10 minutes before yeah. this house just came on the market. And, and, and that's a, that's something that we didn't discuss on the last show, but it's going to be relevant to today because some of our guys, including Sandy right over here. And I say guys, I mean, guys and gals, yeah. Sandy's over here. She's one of them. 
because she is one of our up and coming agents and she is exactly what we're talking about. She has not seen a market where she can actually schedule a day where every house that that person wanted is available and they can go pick and choose. And unfortunately for someone like her, that's not a great real estate market. So for someone who's coming into the market for the last two years, who's dealt with it and has done well, the positive here is that someone like Sandy is about to walk into a market that is actually a lot better than what she's been dealing with. And that's very hypocritical when we're talking about um, people worried the market's slowing down, they, the, the absurdity of someone saying it's going to crash. That's just ridiculous. You talk about an eye roll from me. Um, there's not going to be a market crash. It's almost impossible with the lack of inventory that's out there. But a big positive that's coming from it is we're going to return to a very fair market and probably for the first fair market in almost 10 to 15 years. So before I get any further, I always like to introduce the folks I'm with. I can't do the show by myself. In fact, I think they do a much better job uh, than I do. Uh, I always bring in uh, some of my uh, uh, peers in uh, my management crew that run this together with me. So I got Mr. Jim McCauley down there uh, out of Austin. He's a longtime friend, uh, super experienced in real estate, uh, construction, uh, brokerage, uh, longtime friend. Uh, like I said, I just cannot do any of my South operations without him. And he's always a great contributor to the show um, with almost any real estate topic. So Jim, always glad to have you. Appreciate uh, everything that you do for us. And today, I finally, I finally decided that I'm so tired of running these shows and I don't bring my agents on. So I told myself, I go, we're going to start committing to bringing our agents on, letting them not only be a part of the show, but to highlight them a little bit, because what's the purpose of having a podcast and a show and you don't bring in some of the agents that you think deserve recognition and absolutely kind of showcase what they're able to do, especially for their clients that watch, because their clients should know uh, that they're lucky to have them. So I got Miss Sandy Hill on my side over here. Uh, Sandy is one of our, well, I'm not even going to call her new anymore because she's not. And, you know, she's, um, uh, she's done enough to where she's passed that stage, but everybody in real estate under five to 10 years is almost new because it's just impossible to, see everything in that amount of time, but that doesn't mean they're not experienced. And some of them are very experienced and they're motivated and they're outgoing and their careers are bright. And Sandy's one of those. And I, you know, started to where I looked at the list of agents that we had and I go, if I don't care if we have to go through every one of them, I want them to first have a little piece of the show that we talk about them and then let them contribute to the actual topic. And that's ironic. Well, I shouldn't say it's ironic. I chose it intentionally because I looked at the topics and I said, which one matches up well? Well, today we're talking about dual careers. And if there wasn't a perfect agent to highlight, just to highlight, but then to also bring into the conversation, it would be Sandy because Sandy literally got into this merging her teaching career uh, with her real estate. And that's a, a very delicate balance that she continues to do. But the whole point of this show is going to be to show that it's absolutely possible and it's a very good thing for most people to do. Sandy, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for who you are, how you are, and every bit about you. We love to have you on here today. Thank you, Robert. Yeah, great to have you. It's uh, 
it's hard to become an agent in this type of market. One of the things I'm most proud of the agents over the last three or four years that have come on, they're, it's probably been more difficult for them than in any series of agents that we've ever had historically because you guys are really in, involved in two types of categories. You're one COVID babies because you came into a market that was completely shattered, not bad. It actually ended up being a little, it actually ended up being good for you, but still learning in a market that you're not physically with somebody uh, that you have to have follow these distance rules and all other types of crazy things. So you got that against you. And then you come into a market that is seller heavy, meaning sellers can do whatever the hell they want. And, and the poor buyers are just, you know, at, in harm's way. You're lucky if you get them anything. That is not the easiest market to come into. So I believe for a lot of our agents that have come on in the last three or four years, I think they're going to be a lot stronger than a lot of the batches of agents before because what they've had to deal with, they've adapted to it already. Well, they've already adapted to the negative and the more difficult. So they haven't experienced the easier part of it yet. And I actually think that that's a big positive right now because even as we speak, someone like Sandy probably does not recognize. I mean, she just does the job and she does it well because she has a good attitude, but she probably doesn't know that she's been doing the hard stuff. She hasn't even seen the market when it's actually fun. So I actually feel very good about those agents because people like Sandy are already happy now. Well, they're only going to get happier. And that's something that we really look forward to with agents when they don't know what to expect and they come in with the hard part of it and they're about to experience the easier side of it. And every agent comes into some type of weird thing. You know, I always tell everybody that the, I pretty much started SFR in the, I don't know, mid 2000s and SWR actually grew when the market crashed. When the market crashed in 2008, which is the worst crash in 50 years, we grew during that time. So everybody has their experiences with, you know, what types of market. You know, Jim and I were talking about in the last show that, you know, Jim, when he started, you know, they were battling ridiculously high interest rates, high inflation, you know, something that we're heading towards right now. Everybody enters a market that has some type of strangeness to it, but uh, the ones that the recent folks have gone into, I really believe it's been harder for them. So I think it's good times ahead. And that's why I want to talk about dual careers today. Okay, so I'm going to start it with just my own re reason for it. And the reason why SWR is created. And, and, you know, we have tons of people that watch the show. And I appreciate the people that are in other brokerages that watch. So I try to be neutral. Uh, I, I don't like to. Well, I'd be lying if I said I don't push SWR. I do. I mean, that's why we talk about joinswr.com and all that. But I still try to create the show to where it's information for any type of brokerage out there. And this is my comment when it comes to dual careers. And there are a lot of brokerages out there that discourage it. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of brokers that give their opinion to someone who tells them that they have to do it. And not only do they discourage them, but they even go further by telling them not to even bother. 
which is a huge pet peeve of mine. And it was the driving force behind SWR because I am one of those types that if somebody tells me you can't do it, I'm like, yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and just do that then because I don't like someone telling me that I can't do something. And it, it put a chip on my shoulder. Uh, it's difficult for me when I see or witness another broker where someone's telling them, hey, look, I want to get into this, but I have to do it part time because I have a family to support. And I hear the other broker say, well, you'll never make it. Yeah, it, it, it's very hard for me not to interrupt and go, well, what do I know? We've only made a few million over the years doing it, but you're right. You go ahead and tell them that, you know, they can't make it. That's a terrible comment yeah. for a broker to make. You know, Jim, you know me personally more than anybody. Sandy's getting to know me, but, but you personally know me. I, I never make any bad will comment towards another broker. I'm very respectful mm -hmm. of competition. And even in this comment here, I'm making a general statement, so it's not targeted to one person or another. But listen, for any broker out there, if you're making that comment, you've got to look at a couple things. One, you very well could be responsible for pushing someone out of this industry that never had the chance to get into it. I, I don't even want to think about the numbers that leave the industry before they even got into it because somebody told them they'll never make it doing it part-time. I, I would shudder at the numbers. I, I, I can't even imagine what they are, but the ones that get past it and they're still trying to do it and are still discouraged. There's just, there's, there's no justification for it. It, 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 it is an absolute delusional non-fact that those people are right saying you can't make it. I'm living proof of it. There's thousands of other agents that are living proof of it. I'll even do better than that for you. I'll even argue with you that I think the part-time agent that starts off that way is actually smarter than the one that comes in full-time. Mm -hmm. Now that's something that would raise a lot of eyebrows and have everybody, like if we did have like on the radio where we used to have direct call-ins, that would light it up because they would want to get a piece of me saying I'm wrong. I'm like, yeah, I go, listen to my reasoning behind it though. The full-time person they go into it with the mentality in their first year that they've got to make money or they're not going to be able to eat. So then they get desperate and they start pushing things. They work all these hours when most veterans know that whatever they're doing the first year probably won't pay off until the second or third year because the marketing doesn't even kick in. The part-timer, they know damn good and well that it's not going to happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. They know they can do it, but they know it's going to take time. And they know that they still need to feed their family or contribute to their family. So the part-timer, that person has a better shot at the long haul than the full-timer does. Oh, I agree. Opinion, right, Jim? It's opinion. Yep. I'm not right completely on that, but I know I'm right to some extent because I've proven mm -hmm. it for years. And well, I mean, I think it gives them a chance to become a full-timer if they want and Wow. And, when I'm, and then what I'm finding out, you know, a number of our agents, uh, they figure out they can chew bubble gum and walk at the same time. You know, you, well, you can do and, that full time and keep your job. And, you know? and, and, I, and I will brag about something that we do because mm -hmm. I think it facilitates that. And big surprise, mm -hmm. it came because I lived this and I knew that it was needed because I did build SWR empathetic. But we created training 
so that these guys could go to work and still not lose the training that they needed. They could do it whenever they wanted. And then we teamed it up with 24-7 support them. So we knew that we could bring that person in. I think one of the bigger problems that some of the brokerages that say they don't want full-time part-timers or that they can't handle the part-timers, they do, don't have tools that can train them that are not in the daytime or right. to be there personally. And I think that's why they might do that. You know, so they're just not built for that type of agent, which is a shame because I really do believe that those are the agents that become the better ones down the road. So I want to talk to Sandy about that because she comes from, you know, and I never want to rate the professions one over the other, but if I had to lean towards one, the teachers, they make some of the best real estate agents. They always mm -hmm. have. I truly believe it's because people know what they have to go through. They know that they accept low amounts of money for the work that they do, and they work terribly hard. They know mm -hmm. that they have to deal with kids who can just be awful at times and good for any of uh, Sandy's clients that watch. But we all know that there's some rotten ones out there, and it's a hard job. And these people are over here, you know, working – you know, 50, 60 hours a week, sometimes taking their own money that they don't make a lot of and having to spend it on the kids just to make sure they have the stuff um, that they need to have. It, it's, it's, a, it's the most respected position that gets hardly not close to what they deserve. I believe because they go through all that when people know that they're a teacher, but they're also a real estate agent. I think that there's a respect level for them because they just know that it takes a lot to do that type of job. And if they're able to handle kids, they certainly can handle their home purchase and home sales. And I, I believe that I do, because I think that that's how they look at you, Sandy. So, you know, you've taught for a while and you looked at the real estate side of it. There's a lot of teachers that think that that's a possible path for them, don't, don't they? Yes, they do. And it really stems from the fact that they've handled so many different things at one time through the day. Other teachers, principals, parents, children. And so we're used to being thrown things at the last second and trying to adapt to that. So yeah. um, it's so easy now, you know, when you've been through open houses year after year and you've got parents and kids everywhere mm -hmm. to be able to do things like that, that, you know, open house now, you get the same, you get lots of people through there, but it's easy to handle it because you already know. Well, you're prepared, right. You're prepared for it and it's, I think one thing, once, and I think it's disappointing for most teachers because they just soon not have to go through with it, but it's just, it's not in the cards because they have to. They've dealt with uncomfortable situations. And sometimes they've dealt with the worst uncomfortable situations. Because anytime you're talking about somebody's kid and something that's been done uh, that's pretty traumatic or concerning, it's a stressful item. And I don't think there's a teacher in the world, whether it's kindergarten through high school, that cannot recall an incident that was extremely stressful to have to address, sometimes family-oriented. You know, you know, we see things where there's 
evident child abuse that the teacher identifies and, 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 and it has to come up and it ends up going back to them and they're the ones that said it. We, you know, we see the amount of drug use in some of the high schools and, uh, you know, the amount of pressure that the suicide levels are off the charts in the schools right now. And it's, it's heart wrenching and it's, it's fueled by so many things and y'all are swimming in it. Y'all are swimming in it day to day and you're, you're tough enough inside to deal with it. And when you get to real estate, it, it's terrible to say, but I think it's almost a break to some extent because even the bad deals that we have, it's usually not involving your kids. And, and I'm not, and I'm not putting light on the deals that we do that, that, that they're easy or that the arguments are horrible because they can be, but they're not any worse than when you have a, a controversy or a traumatic issue with the child and it has to be conveyed to a parent. And I, and I do believe that's where those teachers get that iron, you know, gut to them uh, because I just believe they're tough, uh, tougher than most. And they also exemplify, and Sandy, you're a perfect uh, example of this and any of Sandy's clients, past clients or any future clients that watch this, when we look for real estate agents, and I've done it a long time, um, you know, you want you got the you want the happy and the outgoing ones because those people are social, and uh, people want to talk to them. People like talking to them. People like Jim. You know, he <laughs> Jim's actually one of the most social guys. He just doesn't show it on his face, but. He's probably one of the more fun going guys out there. You never know it though, unless you truly know him, uh, which is what I love about him. But someone like Sandy, Sandy's got the outgoing, you know, uh, that, that's something that a lot of people have, but some of those people have no spine at all. Some of them can be really nice and they get all the clients they want, but they just get walked all over. So you don't want just that one. Then you have the, you know, complete jerk, you know, that knows everything. They're very good at what they do, but they're terrible socially. Just awful. They're just terrible socially. You're just like that person. I just don't even want to be near them because of their toxic, you know, environment. When you're looking for an agent or you want an agent to work for you or being a real estate broker, you want the one that can do both. You want the one that's happy, easygoing, but they're also the one that they can put their foot down when they want to. And Sandy's a very good example of that. Unfortunately, I haven't had to see her do it, but I've already had enough time with her that I know she's more than capable of doing it. And, and that's the type of agent we look for. We are looking for that type of agent because they're built that way. And this dual career thing that we're talking about sometimes facilitates that type of person because they're able to juggle a bunch of things and y'all i i always like to pride myself on i like to believe that i am that type of agent i'm a very nice guy i'm easygoing i'm outgoing i enjoy to be social and talk to people but anybody knows me personally they know that when i've had enough it shows and there's a terrible ugly side to it and i think you have to have both to be effective i think you have to be able to say i've had enough I've had enough of this. I've had enough of what y'all are doing. I've had enough of the policies that your attitude towards this. 
the ethics side of it, you've got to be able to quote the law with you. You have to know the contracts. You have to know the stuff. That's the one we want. And we talked about highlighting agents, and we're going to keep doing this, but Sandy's that type of person. That's the type of person that you want helping you out because they have to be able to do both sides. And, you know, Sandy, I think you already know that those comments are for me that I feel like that. Uh, but that's one reason that we're super high on someone like you. And for my other agents that watch, don't be jealous because I brought Sandy. I have a list of y'all that I'm bringing you on. And honestly, I didn't bring them on in any order. I, I looked at the topics we're doing and I'm like, this one fits better for this one. So don't think that you're being ignored. I plan on talking to a lot of you over uh, time uh, that the same thing's going to be on there. But I thought for dual careers, she fits the best mold for right now because this is the topic that we're talking about. So we get these people out there and you have all these people that are looking at what to do. You have different phases of people that are becoming real estate agents. You've got the, the kids that are that just turned 18, that they don't know what to do. Uh, they're either going to college or they're not going to college. Uh, they're looking at what I want to be, which has to be the worst question ever for anybody. I'm going to say under the age of 30. I think anybody under the age of 30 struggles with where do I want to be or who do I want to be? I don't think anybody knows. So I feel sorry for the kids that are 18. But the reason why I tell you the 18 is that some of those start this dual career stuff. They start, well, I might as well get this while I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. And I have to tell you, and it's a biased opinion, I think that that's great. My greatest regret, and I have a few of them, but my greatest regret is that I didn't start doing this earlier. I can tell you right now, the kids, mm -hmm. I don't care whether they like it or not, they're going to get it at 18. And if, that's fine if they don't want to use it. They're going to have it just in case they need it, which I would hope they'd want to with the business that we run. But uh, I think that that's good. Then you have people that are in the early phases of their job. They're not 10 to 15 years. They're three to four years. And this is the person that quickly figures out that corporations suck. And they're like, this is awful. And I don't want to be here. And I want to do something else. And I'm not talking about the POS worker who's lazy. I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about the person who legitimately is like, this is awful. I, I don't want to work like this. I don't want to work for that type of person. And my guess is I'm going to keep like work, working for that type of person the rest of my life. So you got that one. Okay. Then you have someone who's had a, a decent career, but they're like, I don't think this is going to be the long-term uh, objective. I have to do this right now because I need to make some money, but I've got to have something else going to where I eventually can have an alternative if I so choose. And then you have the one that has gone through their career. They're done with it. They're looking for the next phase. They don't want to go home and not do anything. So they look at this as well. Now, the reason why all of those fit into dual career, even the last one, a lot of the people who are retiring, they don't want to retire. They still want to do work. Now, their dual career is different than some of the other dual careers. Their dual career it's maybe not necessarily a job, but they got other things going on. They got other things that they want to do, but they still want to have financial relevance and mindset that they're doing something productive in the workforce. So a lot of those will do real estate. And I'm going to say do it part-time 
because they've got their other volunteering. You know, I, my uh, my parents are a great example. You know, my dad's a big time uh, former government executive. Um, yeah, his wife too, very high up in the government, and uh, they're retired. But if they did do real estate, I can assure you it'd be part time. They don't, by the way. Uh, but if they did, probably don't want to work for me. I don't blame them. Um, the, uh, if they did, I promise you it's part-time because of their schedule, their schedule between, you know, doing things like Habitat for Humanity and, um, you know, consulting projects. And there are a bunch of other things that are going on, but they would fit the mold of someone who wants to do this. Then you go back to someone like Sandy, who it does enjoy teaching. I know she does, but she knows that there has to be something else down the road, whether it's financial, whether it's freedom, whether it's multiple income streams, she's smart enough to know that she needs something else. So this is where the show is speaking to those people today. We're talking to those people that are out there. And this is probably the biggest takeaway from the show today. And I absolutely have the street cred to say it. Anybody that has any type of job, I don't care if it's 60 to 70 hours a week, you are more than capable of doing real estate on the side, especially in the first couple of years because you probably aren't as busy because you're building your business. Anybody who thinks that the stupid myths about your working all the weekends, your working um, weeknights, because that is a myth. A lot of people think because you're working all the week, they, they, they tell you when you get into real estate, you're going to start working all these nights and you're going to start working all these weekends. That is a myth. You know what your weekends really look like as a real estate agent? Maybe every other weekend you do an open house for a couple hours. You still do whatever the hell you want Saturday and Sunday. But for those two hours or three hours, you do that. Maybe another Saturday, one of your clients wanted to go look at a house. And for the last four years, that probably only would have been an hour because there wasn't 30 houses to look at. And hell, even if you took a listing, you're only talking about an hour. That is the biggest myth about real estate that you're working, you, know, you lose your weekends and your weeknights. I can count the times on my hand that my clients need me late at night or during the weekend excessively. Now, my agents are a different story. They pick away all that. They call all night long. So uh, that's a different thing. But as far as being an agent yourself, that's a myth. And the reason why it's a big takeaway is that so many people do not consider or get into real estate because they believe that. They think somebody told them that. All right. So that's a terrible myth. Uh, the other myth, and once again, I've got a lot of street cred on it, is that if you don't have a sales background, then you're probably a lousy real estate agent. Now, I would argue the opposite. And I think that, and no offense to my salespeople agents, uh, but I would argue that sometimes the salespeople agents still have a little bit of the sales stuff in them. Some of them are too salesy. Some of them are too pressure pointing in your face. Whereas the one that had a job or is business oriented, they're more laid back but they still have the competency level to get you through it. So the other myth is, well, I've never done sales. Good. That might be a positive for you. 
I'm not telling you for those of you that do sell that you shouldn't get into it. You should too. Obviously, you know what you're doing. But I do think some of the innocent people that have never looked at it like that, sometimes I think they can be more effective because they're more trustworthy to the general public because they relate to them. They relate to them. I, I, I always thought that I did well, not because I was smart or anything like that, because I'm not. Uh, I actually thought that I did well because I was very easygoing and I had a good business background. I thought people trusted the fact that I knew the business side of it and that I wasn't sales gimmicky. And I do believe over time, that's what helped grow my business. But from a salesperson to this day, I still don't like being called a salesperson. Well, I, I think it's something very, very key with, and what makes Sandy good at what she does. Teachers good at what they do. I feel good at what I do. What you do is people trusting. They, they pick up immediately that trust level, what you're telling them. They, they believe and they trust it, which makes you have to be even more careful and on guard with everything you do say. Yeah. You know, that's a good point, Jim. I, um, you know, I talk about, the people that we have and the people that we bring on and the people that do dual career. But you make a good point that a lot of those people, it's not so much um, that they're able to do dual career. It's the fact that because they're trustworthy, it makes them easier to do dual career because they will get the business regardless because of how people trust them, not because, they're working 40, 50, or 60 hours a week. It's because they're trustworthy and trustworthy people are easier to work with and they're more easy to refer out. So I think that's a great point. That's not one I actually had written down and that's why you know we put people on the show because they bring up a point that I'm like, that's, that's actually true. And I, st I started thinking when you said that, I started thinking about some of our better uh, dual career people and I was like, that's exactly the case with them. There's a trust level that most people have with them that they're like, well, yeah, I'd use them in a heartbeat. And even more important and more to the point is that they don't care that they have another job. I don't think anybody who knows Sandy probably would care that she still teaches because they know that she's going to be able to handle uh, uh, their business as well. I don't think she, I think they know that she wouldn't take it if she couldn't do it. So I, I think, it, I think it's twofold is that they know that the person's good, but they also know that even if they have something else going on, they wouldn't be doing this if they couldn't handle both. So uh, those myths out there are terrible for a dual career person. The, uh, the hour count, that's another thing too. When people saying that to work 65, 70 hours a week, that's the biggest load of, y'all tell you a dirty secret about me in all the years I produced, even when I was 40 or 50 million volume by myself, I don't think I ever worked more than 25 hours a week. And I have a lot of people that are peers to me that they hear that and they shake their head. And trust me, I'm the black sheep of the family in Keller Williams. In the, in the elite group, I'm probably the only one that does not work 90 hours a week in cold calls and bleed. I just hate that. I just don't yeah. believe in it. I'm from Southern Louisiana. We don't believe in you know, irritating people and, 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 and bothering them. In fact, I'm pretty sure some of my family shoots people that do that, but we don't <laughs> believe in doing stuff like that. So for me, it's very hard to be raised in an industry that is sales gimmicky 
and not fit in that way. But I just didn't like it. I always believed in working smarter and not harder. And I believe that there were certain tools that if the agents did them and they did them consistently, they didn't have to do them 50 or 60 hours a week. And you know what? To this day, even as we speak live, I still believe that. I still believe if you do certain things consistently, not 50 or 60 hours a week, that as long as it's consistent throughout the week, that you have a very good chance at doing well in real estate. And that's a message that we send to those people out there. Now, there's no secret about me when it comes to my love for corporations. So here's another takeaway from today. And I've done this show probably three or four times over the years. And fairly certain at some point it'll become part of a speaking presentation that we offer to other people out there because I think there are so many people that are affected by it. Uh, but because I lived it, it makes it easier for me. I, and, I'm, and I'll, I'll put an asterisk on it because there's so many friends that we have, business people, clients, people in common that have to do this. And I think each of them know if they're in this situation or not. If they're in this situation, they're like right on. And if they're not, I don't think they care about it because they're like, I understand what he's saying. And the point I'm making is just the, the horribleness of the corporations themselves. You know, it, corporations, for the most part, they don't give a damn about anybody who's under them. And we can fight all day long if you want. If you disagree with me, you, just, you, you come on any time and you show me how many corporations truly are loyal to their people. You and I both know there's not a company on the face of this earth that if they're looking at financial issues, especially if they're publicly held, that they won't take someone who's been working for 34 years and snap their fingers and make them gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And at worst, they tell them they loved them as they kicked their ass out the door. It's the worst plague. It's the worst part of a work ethic in a hard working country is America. It's the worst part of it because no matter how hard you work, no matter how, how far you get, you're always working for somebody else that can pull the plug on you. And that's why we push dual career agents. We push them and we believe in them because we think that they should have that option that if somebody decides to start doing that to them or does take the rug out from under them, they're like, fine, I already have something else and I wanted to leave anyways. We want them to have the other route. And we also want them to be able to practice their own business. You know, a lot of people talk about real estate and they do it because they want to be their own boss. Well, I, I don't like that conversation. Let's like, well, you're really not your own boss. You still need people to help, but you are right. that you're pretty much guiding what it is that you do. Nobody's telling you what to do day to day. And you are able to guide the career the way you want to. Now, that's attractive enough to some people, but the most important part, never mistake it, is the fact that somebody else is taking you, that is telling you what to do and they have control over you. You had a good friend and he's passed now, but uh, he said to me one day, I was younger at the time, he's like, Robert, you never make any money if you're not working for yourself. And when he said it, I didn't think much of it. But years later, and now that I'm in my 50s, the most true statement I ever heard. 
that you, you, you are never going to truly make the money that you want if you're working for somebody else. It's mm -hmm. always, all your work is for always for somebody else. No matter what you do, it's always for somebody else. It's always for them to praise, have them use you as the praise part. If you look at the corporation just in a shell of itself, that's what it's produced by. The people at the top are the ones that get to take credit for everybody, but they're also the ones that can snap their finger, remove them. And even better, and this is my real hate for corporations, when this person screws everything up, they get rid of all the good people and then they are told to get lost after they got rid of the people that were good because of their stupid policies. And then they walk out with 30 or 40 million and the company that was there for years is shattered. Now, anybody who listens to me will go, obviously this happened to you. Eh, yes and no pieces of it but i can tell you this it happens all day long and it's happening right now and it's happening to millions of americans that are sitting in some cube right now and they're like this sucks because that person is a jackass yet they're the ones that are telling me what to do and i can't put a stop to it and i can't do anything because i have to have this job so i can feed my kids and keep the lights on it's almost as if they're incarcerated and I think some people believe that. And Jim, you've seen some of this before. I mean, this isn't a, you know, some people could say I'm just on a soapbox right now. I'm like, I'm not on a soapbox. No, I'm just glad you got it off your chest. Well, I'll tell you. It lives, but you know what? It lives with me. It lives with me. There are things that I can't say on the show with people that are close to me because it hurts them. But it, it's, it's, it's proof. It's proof that the lawyer, I think the hardest thing for me to accept, and even to this day, it still does, is that loyalty just does not mean a damn thing to most people. And oh, it really doesn't. That. And that's, that's why you're seeing more and more people not being loyal to the corporations that are jumping from one to the other for pay raises. So you know what? You know, I'll and, give the corporations a little bit of credit there because yeah. you're right. There's an opposite effect to it as well, yeah. is that as bad as the corporations can be, sometimes the associates themselves do them unfair. They, they, they train them and then they go off after they paid all that time and hard work and then somebody else reaps the benefits of it and that person ends up making more money. So you're right, there's a loyalty crunch there too. Uh, the, co the corporation's still far worse. But, but you're right, I mean, I, I was raised... My dad was a manager and made all kinds of records being the youngest branch manager for this large material uh, corporation that was called Owens Corning at the time. And, uh, and he was just way up there, but he always told me, he goes, they always get you a little title. They give you a little more money. And he, and he said, the exact same thing your friend said, he says, Jim, you're only going to, you'll never make money working for a corporation. You, you know, it's, you got to get into business for yourself somehow. So yeah. You're always working for somebody else's benefit, uh, doing something else for them. I'll, I'll tell you another. <clears throat> and, and again, those of you think that this is an off the chest or gripe thing, because Jim's joking about that. This is a push for why we do dual career. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, this is not a complaint session. We're talking to the people that we know <clears throat> are in this situation. Y'all, most of us got here very similar. Uh, we, we know what you go through. 
and we're telling you that there is something else. You don't have to be qualified for it. It's not that hard to learn. And most people do very well at it. So you can look at this as a gripe session. It's not. This is a motivation session that if you're in that, we've got an out for you. We've got a way that can make this work for you. That where you do end up working for yourself, you do end up controlling your own money, and you still have the help you needed from someone who has experience if you decide to do this. <clears throat> and you think about it in a, in a corporation, when you're told to come to a meeting, you have to be there. But in real estate, when your broker says, hey, we're having a meeting, it's, it's always optional because you're not an employee. And you make your decision on do you think you need to be there or not. Exactly. And they're told yeah. the topic. I mean, even when we call a meeting, do all of our agents really need to be at that meeting if they're well-versed in it? No. Do my veteran agents need to show up to a contract meeting? No. So there is a choice there. They do have the ability to, you know, decide where they're going to be and make their schedule to where it's conducive to them and it's productive for them. And I want to add to that. You know, it's funny. I found myself the other day. You talk about, you know, gosh, in a corporation, you know, you're you're feeling like I have to do this. I have to get this done. And it just adds to that stress. And the other day, as busy as I've been lately, I had looked at my friend and I said, you know, I'm working a lot of hours right now because I choose to, but it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. Because I'm having fun doing it and it's my choice where I go when I do it and taking care of my people. Yeah, so you uh, you hit on something that uh, I tell people quite a bit, and it's probably the greatest benefit of this job. Uh, so I do work 80 hours a week. Now, I, if you clock me, I'm about 80 hours. Uh, I would tell you that it feels like I work about 10 or 15 because most of my hours are interviewing people, helping agents that need it. And it's sick, but I'm built this way. Even the problems that I have to fix, I actually enjoy doing it because I'm usually pretty well versed in how to fix it. And I know it's going to help somebody. So I don't mind it. So for me, even though most people who know me know I work like that, it doesn't feel like that. And, and I tell my friends this all the time and it probably irritates them, but it's also to the point that we're making for this particular show. The one advantage I have over any of my friends who are CEOs, VPs, whatever you know they're called, they're super successful and they make tons of money. Um, but the one thing I always tell them, and I joke when I tell them, but it's a true statement. I feel like I've been retired for the past 20 years. I really do. Whereas they have grinded it out. And yes, CEOs and VP, they grind it out more than anybody because they have to work horrible hours. Um, God forbid if there's any problems, you know, they are at the mercy of, even though the high, the, the high one's up, they're at the mercy of everybody else. And Whereas I love my friends and I think they, they have a different, they would not like what I do. So it's vice versa, you know, or touche. They would say, well, I don't like the fact that you could go months without making money or you could, they, they can say the same thing, but it's a fact that nobody can ever take away from me since literally I've been 35 years old. I have not 
had to be anywhere at X time unless I said I wanted to be there. And I have never had to worry about being removed from a job since then. And I do believe that's why this has stayed fairly um, brown. And I, I, I joked the last few times, and I've been doing it because it's happened recently on multiple occasions where someone's like, well, you dye your hair. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm far too lazy. There is no way I would ever do it. But I, I like to believe it's because of this actual comment that I do believe I've controlled my own stuff and I don't feel like I've worked for that amount of time. And that's why I think this career is worthy for somebody to do it dual and then eventually they get enough money or co confidence that they can do it on their own and get into that lifestyle. Cause I do believe this is the option for most people in corporations. I, I do believe that this is the escape route that most people that are at a corporate, uh, a corporation that they want to leave or they don't like. Um, I think this is an out. Now, now I'm going to, I'll put another asterisk in there. I, I'm never thrilled about, and this probably angers me more than anything. I don't like the POS of the corporation, the one that truly is awful. Now, forget the corporation being terrible. I'm talking about someone who's a lousy worker. Some corporations, you'll have those people mouthing off, kind of agreeing with us. I'm like, oh, no, I go, no I'm not agreeing with you. <laughs> you're part of the problem. And you don't ever show up on time. You're, you're, you're insubordinate. Those people, they'll have these same complaints. But that's not the person I'm talking about. I'm talking about the person that works hard and is treated like that. Those other people, they're the worst. They go to work. They bitch about everything. They're tired. They're a lousy life. And they want to bring everybody else's life down the drain. Those are just horrible people in general. I'm not talking about them. I don't want that lifeline. I don't want that person that uses real estate as an excuse. And unfortunately, half the industry are those agents. That's the worst interview I do. When someone tells me they're getting into this because they're like, I hate my boss and my job sucks. So I'm like, well, hang on for a second. What, it, it, does the job really suck? And does your boss really suck? Or is it just you? You know, I mean, because that's not what we want. Now, <laughs> there are plenty of times that person's dead on the money. But if they're doing it for the, the lazy reasons, that's not what we're looking for. We ain't talking to you today. We're talking about the hard workers out there that are punished because somebody else's stupidity. And they're told you have to do this or do that and working for somebody else and never gaining their own benefits of it and never having the ability to earn as much as they want. And it's all theirs and nobody else's. That's the problem. That's yeah. I always doing. love uh, your interviews, Robert, because uh, depending on if you want the person, it really depends how long that interview is going to be. You, you size them up pretty quick. It is. I do. And, and when I do <laughs> interviews, I, uh, uh, I'm very perceptive about someone in their first five or 10 minutes. Most people will tell you you can judge somebody in that amount of time. It's not completely true, but there are certain things they say. And Jim's right. He knows this too. Uh, I pay close attention to anybody's comments that reveal their work ethic, their attitude, and their discipline. Those are the three things that I live my life off of. And I'm super careful when I interview somebody. I'm like, that's what I'm listening for. If I don't hear at least one or two of those, or worse, I hear something I don't like that dis dispute one of those three, that interview typically ends really quick. Uh, and I joke about it all the time. I have people that I interview that they'll tell me they have a degree from Princeton or, or SMU. And I'm like, hey, that's great. I got, have you ever worked retail? 
because if you've ever worked a bar, or you've ever worked restaurant, you've ever worked in the stores, those guys are the ones I'd really rather have because they've taken so much shit in their life that they know how to handle it. I go, that person is the one I'd rather talk to. So you're right. I mean, we do look at those folks and try to size them up because we are looking for the attitude of disciplined people. And they're hard to find. They are. They're hard to find because, unfortunately, a lot of people in this country have a poor work ethic. They have lousy attitudes. And they're just not disciplined. It's a hard person to find. But we like to believe if we use those principles that those people are easily successful if they convert into real estate. And that's what we're trying to do with them. You know, before I forget, and we're about to end the show here, but I wanted to, um, and Mark, if you're listening to me, if you have any uh, graphics you're able to put up, I've been working with my uh, a producer on another uh, podcast uh, called The Mentor Project. And we talk a lot about these types of uh, topics that are kind of mixed in, not so much dual career, but more as management and things that, that we're just talking about, like work ethic, attitude, uh, discipline. And, uh, you know, if he wants to, there we go, right there. Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, the Mentor Project Live. It's a really good podcast. We've already done a couple episodes and uh, we really like the material that's coming out of it. Uh, it's, it's, it's general business and life conversations and, and management conversations and business conversations. But we really have enjoyed the first um, few things that we've talked about. And, you know, Mark's been in uh, radio and podcasting a lot longer than I have. And I've been in business for quite some time, but all of the things interact uh, with what we're talking about on our show in this particular one. So I, I like this podcast because it actually complements mine. Uh, it complements the fact that we're doing real estate, but it's also talking about the things that we just discussed about the people that we're looking for that have uh, these types of characteristics. So if you get a chance, uh, go to them. I usually post them. In fact, I need to post. We, we had an episode last um, week that I haven't posted yet, and I'll post that uh, here in the next day or so. But uh, when I was talking about uh, concluding, I wanted to make sure I mentioned that because... Really good I really show. enjoyed the first podcast y'all did. I meant to tell you I listened to it. it was great. That's and that's great, Jim. I'm glad you I'm glad you listened to it because uh you know I'm always skeptical of when I do something new, but I usually won't do it unless I believe the person and of course with Mark. You know, we're we're longtime friends and we have a lot of the same beliefs. So usually if he presents me with something, it's uh rare that I would disagree. So when he brought it up. Uh, I, I love the idea. I'm always skeptical until I start talking and seeing, you know, who the other persons is, or the other people are. But even in the first episode itself, it was apparent that uh, there's something that's very good there. And, and like I said, I, I think it complements uh, our, our podcast here because it's not just real estate. We do talk about people. We do talk about management. We do talk about life. And so for me, um, those are important. Y'all want to thank everybody out there, Sandy, especially for you. Thank you for your friendship, for your for your business, um, uh, the way you are. We we have high hopes for you, and and we are like literally one hundred percent confident that uh, you continue just to thrive. Anybody who are clients of Sandy that watches this, because I'm going to tell her to repost it, and and I hope that the people who know her watch it. I don't think you need to hear that from me. I think most of you already know that. 
about her. So you're all very lucky if you um, uh, deal with real estate with her. If you have dealt with real estate with her or you're considering it, uh, you really should be passing her name around. Uh, she's well worth it. And like I said, I do have the street cred to be able to prove that. And then my buddy Jim down there, always thankful for him, uh, his expertise. Um, and even though anybody who's on the show with me always gets out talk because I talk all day long. Uh, I love the side commentary because sometimes just as few brief, brief interactions either change the topic to where something else we needed to talk about or it's a point that I forgot. So I just cannot uh, do it without them. Thanks every, uh, for everything. Uh, you guys continue to watch. Pass it on to everybody that needs these stuff, especially for this show. If you have someone that you think wants to be a real estate agent, whether it's a client, whether it's family members, this is a good show for them to watch. So go ahead and pass that one out to us. Y'all have a great week. We'll see y'all soon. Take care. See you guys.